Good morning. This is All People's Church coming to you from Flagstaff, Arizona. Today is June 19th, Father's Day. It's our pleasure to have you with us today. We've had a time of prayer for our fathers and their fathers, and we've believed that our, our service today will be a blessing to you if indeed you're a father. Today we're going to be talking about 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verses 1 through 18. We are going verse by verse, as is our custom. Today's theme is, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And that's found in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the third verse. The prime idea today is found in verses 4 and 5, also from that chapter. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's the primary idea. The golden verse is found in verses 17 and 18. I should say golden verses. Verse 17, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Verse 18, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with a confidence by which I tend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for education, uh, edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. At least I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are we weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible? Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of, our sphere, of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was you that we came with the gospel of Christ. 
not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in other man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Denise, would you go back up to verse 1, please, and begin. Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. The last phrase acknowledges the, the derogatory statements of those who have taken the carnal low road of finding fault with Paul any way possible. Verse 2 and 3. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And what I did in verse 3, I highlighted in. I, I put it in yellow. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The idea of not fighting flesh with flesh or carnality with carnality is one we can take to heart. No matter our position, whether in authority or whether as those submitted to authority, we must act as the spiritually alive, Holy Spirit-led people that we are. We should not let ourselves get drawn into acting carnally, no matter if others are acting carnally. Let us remain spiritually minded and led by the Spirit. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I think we have three weapons. In truth, we have fasting, right? We can fast. That's a spiritual weapon. We can pray. That's a spiritual weapon. And then really the third spiritual weapon is the Word of God. Additionally, we are available to be used in one or more gifts of the Spirit as He empowers us. I didn't include those as spiritual weapons, but all of the gifts of the Spirit in some way are truly weapons that we can use against our enemy. We don't think of them as weapons. But you know, I'm thinking in particular about the gifts of wisdom and of knowledge, and I always go back to Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And He began to talk to her, and He exemplified the fact that he could speak to that woman and with the word of knowledge begin to penetrate her heart. And so today, I don't want it to be any kind of stretch in our thinking, but I think Paul is saying, look, we don't fight carnally. We fight spiritually and we use spiritual weapons. Verse uh, four. Did you just read that? I read four. You did. Okay. Ver go to verse five then. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We don't fight according to the flesh. Our warfare is all about choosing to refuse to go outside of Christ's teachings and the limits put upon us by the Holy Spirit. We want to use our mature knowledge of God. We want to take captive and bend to obedience to Christ every thought. 
This is real spiritual warfare. I know that this idea of prayer warfare and all that sort of current and it's sort of the buzzwords in the Christian community right now. Well, I want to tell you where spiritual warfare happens. It happens right between your ears. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that we take captive and bend to obedience to Christ every thought. This is real spiritual warfare, and it is how we bring ourselves into subjection to Christ and how we refuse to be drawn into carnal fights concerning power and prestige. See, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is all about, I've said it before, it's all about church authority, and it's all about submission to authority. That's the primary, if you had to have one theme for the entire book of 2 Corinthians, it would be that. Everything else that we talk about underneath that, we've talked about week by week and verse by verse. But when we talk about power and prestige and these, these factions inside the Corinthian church that are resisting Paul, Paul is, again, he's talked to them repeatedly about living a holy life and not remaining in sins of the past. And some of the things he's talked to these folks about, he said, some of the things that you're doing are not convenient. He says, some of the things that you're doing may not hurt you personally. You may have the faith to be able to weather what you're doing, but there are others in the church that you are causing great harm to. And so Paul has talked to the Corinthians and he's had great resistance to these things that he's talked to them about. And part of the thing that he's dealing with today is the fact that some of these folks that he's had to correct have been very carnal, right? We would expect that, right? They are, they are not being obedient to authority. Everything that he's tried to get them to to understand, he's tried to mature them, he's tried to get them to think about their fellow church members, and they've been acting very carnally. And Paul is trying to tell them, look, I don't fight carnally. You want to get down and, and wrestle in the mud like that? I'm not going with you. The weapons of my warfare are spiritual. And he says, that's where I'm going to be. He says, what? You need to, to bend every thought. How does he say it? Obedience to Christ. Realize where Paul is at, who he's talking to, and why he's talking in this fashion to them. Verse 6. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's a hard verse to understand. I'm sure you guys, when you read it, you went, when your obedience is fulfilled? What does that mean? I had to think about it a while. And, I, and again, I had to sort of put myself in Paul's place. I had to go back and think about how, why is he... Where is he at in this conversation with the Corinthians? The last phrase, when your obedience is fulfilled, pertains to when the church as a whole has been brought under authority. When your obedience is fulfilled, he's talking to them as a church. He has visited this topic a lot in 2 Corinthians, and it is evident he will not relent until the church's obedience is fulfilled. That is, is brought back under mature Christ-like authority. So he says, I'm ready to punish all disobedience until the church is brought back under authority. He says, I'm willing to do this, and I'm going to do this. Verse 7. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, 
that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. This is a great verse because I've seen it over and over again in churches and I've seen it in myself. It's easy for one faction to think that they're more spiritual or have a greater understanding of the scriptures or have received a special revelation from the Holy Spirit, a vision or a prophetic word. One of the things I'm going to tell you as a pastor that really gives me the willies, so to speak, is when someone tells me they've heard from the Lord. And I'll tell you why I do. It's not that I don't want them to hear from the Lord. I do. But often when someone tells me that, I know that there's a very good chance that their ears are going to be closed to anything that I would have to say to them afterwards, right? Because they, they say, I've heard from the Lord. The problem is, if what they think they heard from the Lord is not scripturally based, then I can assure them that they haven't heard from the Lord. But once they say they have, then they've put themselves in a position where they're very likely not to listen to good advice. They're not likely to listen to scriptural correction. That's what I'm, Denise, is, she knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. This is true. I mean, it happens in churches. And so the thing I often ask people is try to avoid saying, the Lord told me. <laughs> try to avoid it. Even as a pastor, I try to avoid saying, the Lord told me. And I don't want to say it even to the board of directors. Why? Because once I say that, then the board of directors is going to go, well, if the Lord told you, that's what we're going to do. Unless there's something really that's going to, some red flag that's, that comes up, they're going to go with you on what you said. So I try not to say the Lord told me if there's a decision to be made. What I would like to say is to tell them what I'm thinking and then try to let them have the the freedom and the room to maneuver to talk to me about that decision and not to close off all discussion by saying the Lord told me and if the Lord told me that's what we're doing and this is a, you know, it's, there's no more talking about it. And that's what sometimes happens in churches. There can be factions that are based on someone's uh, perceived understanding of the scriptures. And again, so much of what goes on in churches has to be, you have to take the whole Bible. You can't take one scripture, and, and especially you can't take it out of context. So that's the thing that, one of the things I think Paul is trying to tell them there is that he's the authority, God's authority over them. And he, as an overseer, he has greater issues, he has greater desires for the congregation than they may have. If anyone's got the big picture, he's the one that's got the big picture. Sometimes we begin to think that those we are in conflict with in the church are not even saved. That's how bad it can get between factions. Paul is putting this fallacious argument to rest. He says, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Verse 8. 8 and 9 or 8? 8 and 9. You're right. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. 
This is the missing explanation of overseer authority. He says, for even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us, but here's the key, he says, which the Lord gave us for what? Edification. He says, I am not going to use my authority to tear you guys down or to terrify you by letters. I'm not going to out, step outside my true authority or my, my true sphere of influence. He says, I'm going to remain true to what God has called me to do, which is to edify you. And that is the job of every overseer. That's the job of the pastor. His job is to build up the church, not to tear it down. His job is to equip the members of the church to do ministry. So Paul says, For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification, and it's not for your destruction. Verse 10. And 11. Yes. I'm yes. reading your you're, notes. You're, yeah, you're, yeah, you're <laughs> helping me here today, please. 10 and 11. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent such we will also be indeed when we are present. Among the many criticisms leveled against Paul by his detractors is that Paul writes big, but when he is actually in Corinth, he carries a little stick. Paul is warning that is about to change. Verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. This statement emphasizes the carnality of those opposing the call to holiness. The very way they try to elevate themselves and distinguish themselves by commending and comparing themselves, that is, promoting themselves versus others, is a sure sign of their actual immaturity. They are definitely not acting meek and gentle like Christ. Let's go back up to verse 1. What does it say? Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you, what? By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He says, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. The bottom line is, Paul is saying, if you compare the way these guys inside the church are acting with the way they should be acting, it will convince you of their immaturity. The next verse. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Like I've said, this is all about spiritual authority. Paul is again noting that his authority is proper and reasonable. Verse 15. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. What is Paul's hope? What does he say? But having hope that as your faith is increased, that is Paul's hope. Paul's motives are pure in this thing. That's the, that's the key takeaway from all that's being said inside the Corinthian church. Paul only has 
one purpose, and that is to edify the church that their faith would be increased. Verse 16. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. Paul is expecting the Corinthians to help him in his missionary endeavors further to the west. We know from other letters that he wants to bring the gospel to Spain, for example. Verse 17. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Good advice. Let's get the spotlight off ourselves and get it back onto the one who came down from heaven and returned there. The one prophesied to be the lamb which takes away the sin of the world. The one before which every knee will bow. Verse 18. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. In conclusion, while we all want to be approved, whether it is in school by our teachers and peers, at work by our bosses, or at home by our parents or spouse, all of us want to be approved. It is also normal for us to want to be approved by those in the church. However, though we seek approval from others, it must come from the Lord. This is a hard truth. No matter how we long for approval from ourselves and others, our approval must be based on the commendation of our master himself. Amen. Amen. This message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The first and most important step to eternal life through Jesus is to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. It is an act of the will. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20.31, But these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of his Son was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation. So say to God what is really in your heart. 
Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. As noted above, it is as easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. Contact me by Facebook Messenger or by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com for more information or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you. This concludes our message for today.